how many of you uh, like tests? How many of you pass? Okay, we, have, we got one over here. Uh, you old people, you know, back behind, you, you remember tests, don't you? Tests were never fun, were they? Pop tests were the worst, correct? God is the expert pop test giver. Have you ever noticed that? God throws things at you when you're not expecting it at all. You, you know, tests are tough. Final exams were always tough. How many of you ever had to take an oral exam? I don't mean at the dentist. I mean like a, uh, an academic. Th- those, are, those are terrible. Those are terrible. That's when the professor gets to show you how dumb uh, you, you really are. Well, this morning we're going to jump out of Mark, and we're going to look in Revelation 3. This morning as we prepare for revival... We start next Sunday, and we're going to look at an evaluation that was given a church and its members 2,000 years ago, but that is very applicable to us in Ruston this morning. Revelation 3. Here's the first thing I want to ask you. What does your life say about you today? Not what do you say about you today, not even what people who would defend you say about you today, but what do you, what does your life really say about who you are and who you are with God? In verse 14 and 15, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, I know your behaviors, I know the way that you're living, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, let me give you a little background. God, through the Apostle John, we saw John's beginning ministry last week in in Mark chapter 1, was writing the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, you get from chapter 4 to chapter 19, it's really hard to understand, but chapters 2 and 3, and and really chapter 21 and 22 are, are fairly plain. This is pretty plain stuff. And in chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches in Asia Minor are being addressed uh, about how they are doing as Christians and as a church. And the last one addressed is Laodicea. It, it probably, possibly the most prominent church, maybe in the biggest church. It was certainly the wealthiest city. And he's got some tough, evaluative thoughts for them. But again, this wasn't written as a history lesson. Purely, this was written as, as something for you and me today to help affect and change our lives. And really, there's two possibilities this morning about your life. And the first would, would be this. Are you on target and useful for God this morning? If you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we certainly want you to become one today. If you are a Christian, honestly, are, are you on target? I mean, are you li- not perfect? But are you living for God with gusto, with passion? And is your life useful for God and for His causes? In verse 15 again, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, he's using some water illustrations here that that would have been very vivid to them, and and I hope it will make sense to you and me in just a moment. Laodicea set near two towns. One of them was Heropolis. Heropolis was about seven miles northwest of 
Laodicea, and it was known for its hot springs. Like we have Hot Springs, Arkansas, if you're familiar, in Texas, there's mineral uh, wells, Texas, where hot springs naturally bubble out of the ground, and Heropolis was known for its hot springs. It gave forth this hot water. Uh, Colossa was another town less than 10 miles away, and it was known for its wonderful cold water. Now, the book of Colossians was written to the church in Colossa. I want to show you on a map just how close these are, uh, which will help. There's Laodicea right there. There's Colossa, a little south of it, and uh, but you probably about seven or eight miles, and Heropolis probably about six miles, a little northwest there of Laodicea. And what, what he, again, he's not, trying to, uh, he's not trying to give us a, uh, a lesson about water primarily. He's talking about people's spiritual conditions. Now, some speak people have said that the hot water here represents the person who is on fire for Christ, who is zealous and boiling over with enthusiasm and passion for Jesus. And the cold represents someone who is frigid or far from God. That could be the interpretation, but what I think he's saying here was the hot water was very useful. It had medicinal purposes. They, you could soak in it. It was a positive thing. It was a good thing. Cold water in Colossa was very useful. Uh, it, it had a lot of wonderful things you could do with it too. I, you know, when I drink coffee, I like hot coffee. Don't you? I drink hot chocolate. I, like, I don't like cold chocolate. Well, I do because I like anything chocolate. But I like, you know, you like coffee, your coffee hot, your, your, your hot chocolate, you like it hot. But on the flip side of that, I like a Coca-Cola or my tea cold. I'm not British. I don't go, I don't go and order uh, at Dowling's. I don't order some hot tea and a barbecue sandwich. First of all, they wouldn't have it, and they'd laugh at me. But, you know, there's certain drinks I just like cold. They are good cold, or they are good hot. So cold and hot are both effective and useful things. And I think one of the things he's saying here, talking about this cold and this hot water, is that, that they were serving proper purposes. And to apply that to your life today, if you are a Christian this morning, are you on target with Christ Are you useful for Christ? Really and truly, what does your life say if you honestly evaluate yourself this morning? On target and useful. Here's the other option he gives, and that's lukewarm. As you can imagine, this is not a good option. In verse 16, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is one of the infamous or famous verses in the Bible, to spit you out of my mouth. What is he talking about? Well, to go back to Laodicea. Laodicea was a great city in many ways. It was wealthy. They had a medical school there, a banking industry centered there. They, they had learned to produce a black wool that was sold all over the known world for cloaks and for, for carpets. At their medical school, they had developed an eye salve called the Phrygian ointment, which was very effective in helping people who were having serious uh, eye issues, even some blindness. Two major highways intersected in, in uh, Laodicea, which would be the day before airports and things, uh, major highways. That was a big, big deal. This is a good, prominent, wealthy, healthy city. But they had one major problem. They had bad water supply. They had a bad water supply. So what they figured they would do is they would pipe water in from Colossa and from Heropolis. In fact, they've had a great 
aqueduct made piping water down from Heropolis to Laodicea. But here was the problem. By the time the hot water from the hot springs got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. Wasn't cold, wasn't hot, it was just ugh. And they said because of the heavy mineral content in the water that it tasted horrible. They tried to get the water from Colossa, the cold water, but by the time they got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It wasn't hot, it was just lukewarm, it was just tepid. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, if, if I go to a restaurant and they bring me a Coke or a tea and it's got two pieces of ice that big in it, it's not going to go well eventually, is it? It is not. No, it's not going to go well. Very few people say, I like my drink lukewarm. We don't like that. We like it hot or cold. And, again, he's not just talking about water here. He's talking about spiritual conditions. And I want to ask you this morning, how many of us in this room from here all the way to the back of the balcony, how many of us are lukewarm with God? At one time, we were hot or cold. We were useful. We were effective. But now our attitude is, we've been there. We've done that. So what? Entertain me with something else. Give me a new book. Give me a new something. Have Wayne do cartwheels tonight while he's leading music. Christianity, uh, Christianity Today knows USA Today, a little bit different magazine and paper. USA Today, uh, last year, not a, Christian, not a Christian journal, had an article, and, and it was talking about apathy among Christians. And listen to what they said. They said, in America, in America, the greatest threat to Christianity was not atheism. It was not people denying that there was a God. It's just apathy. It's just Christians who really don't care and who aren't excited and who aren't living out their faith. George Gallup is a pollster, and, and you're going to see the Gallup poll with a hundred other polls in the next few weeks as they measure every movement in the presidential race. Several years ago, Gallup interviewed people who professed to be Christians, and he asked them all kinds of questions. Here's one thing he asked him. He said, would you describe yourself as a committed Christian? I thought the honesty of this must have been tremendous. 87% who said they were Christians said, no, I'm not committed. I'm, not, I'm just lukewarm. I'm just lukewarm. I want to ask you this morning, are you effective and useful for God like you once were? Again, if, if you never have been, that's another problem we'll try to remedy in a moment. But some of us in this room, in our past, man, we've been sold out for God. We have lived for God. But it's not there anymore. And the, the second statement I want to say is this. Many people deceive themselves. And when I talk about many people, I'm always talking about me as much as I'm talking about you. Please buy into that. I'm not pointing the finger. I'm, I'm talking to all of us. In verse 17, listen to what he says. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's a, that, that's a pretty powerful statement there, isn't it, with all those little things. Laodicea was deceiving themselves. Folks, again, this is a wealthy place. Maybe like Ruston. That textile industries, again, medical centers, the wool. 
Everything was going good. And they probably assumed because our lives are so comfortable and good, that means God is blessing us and everything's right with us and God. Their wealth and their ease and their comfort was causing them to lose their grip on Jesus. George Barna, another poster who mostly does Christian work, in his study several years ago, he put out this. He said, the wealthier people get, the less they feel they need God. Boy, I hope economic times get better in our country. But you know what? If it takes... If it takes hard times economically to get us to turn to God, maybe that's what needs to happen. Some of us, it's gone so well for so long, we don't realize we need God anymore. That's exactly what was happening in Laodicea. Bill Gates, you know who Bill Gates is? How many of you wish he was your uncle? Uncle Bill, yes, you wish he was your uncle. Forbes magazine said a few weeks ago, he is the wealthiest man in America. I don't know what he's worth, but it's more than me. I can tell you that times 500,000. Bill Gates said, going to church, not an effective use of my time. Not something that matters or makes a difference in my life. You know, it's possible when you're worth $60 billion, maybe your felt need for God is not there anymore. I hope he repents because I tell you, 100 years from now, he'll realize he needed church. But we're not talking about him. We're talking about us. Again, verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But don't you realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? Let's walk through this. He says, listen, your house is big and your checkbook's full, but things aren't good in reality. You're in sad shape. You're spiritually, you're bankrupt. You got this eye salve that heals people with blindness, which is a tremendously great thing, but except spiritually, you are blind. He says you're naked, which is a kind of a strange thing to say, but to an Old Testament person, a Jewish person, they understood that was a way of saying that you're exposed, that you're poor, and that you're facing judgment. God said to them, I'm not mad because you're materially successful. I'm mad because you've let the material success keep you and separate you from me. I want to know about us this morning. First of all, here's a starting point. Has it ever been there with you and God? Has it ever been there with you and God? You know, with Laodicea, undoubtedly, some of the people hearing this as it was first spoken didn't truly know Jesus as their Savior. They sat in church bored. They didn't show any interest in the things of God. Because they didn't have Christ in their heart. You can't be zealous for God if you don't have the Spirit of God in you. Maybe this morning that's your problem. That you need to give your life to Christ. But listen, here's the biggest thing this morning. Undoubtedly, this was talking to people who were Christians. And many of us can say this morning, but pastor, it used to be there. It used to be there. And we can say that with an odd pride. (laughs) I've been great for God in the past. I'm just not now. I guarantee in this room today, there are people who have lived powerfully for Christ, who have been difference makers for Jesus, who still are today. 
But no doubt there's people in this room that have been powerful for God, young people as well as older people, who've been difference makers for God, and it's not there anymore in your life. Let me tell you, Revelation 2 and 3, five out of the seven churches, God loves them and he punches them hard. One of the things he punches them hard for is they were arrogant enough to say and think this, but God, we've served you in the past. We've given, we've prayed, we've loved, we've gone. We're just not doing it anymore. You know, some of the strangest conversations I've ever had with people are Christians that will semi-admit, I'm not near where I should be, but let me tell you everything that's wrong with you and your church. You kind of lose that right when you're not where you should be with God. And that's what God was saying to these people. I'm so proud of where you once were, but I'm so disappointed for where you are this morning. And you and I cannot bank. It's like your marriage. If you're married this morning, or if you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend, how many of you would be unhappy if they looked at you and said, I've been faithful to you, I've been totally faithful to you up until two weeks ago, and you better be real pleased with how faithful I've been up until two weeks ago. Oh, sure, honey, that's fine. I appreciate you being committed to me. That little adultery the last two weeks, ah, that, those years before, that makes up for it. No, it doesn't. Does it? Well, I was faithful the first 10 years we were married. I just had a three-year lapse. Give me a break. Doesn't work that way with God either. Man, God, I was on fire for you. I've served you. I gave my money. I lived for you. I served. I did this. I've just taken the last decade off. Maybe you're younger and you've taken the last month off. We're dead wrong if we think we can live on past spiritual victories. That's exactly what they were doing. Psychologists have a, 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 a thing they call superiority illusion. Superiority illusion is where we, most of us, overestimate ourselves. Even you with low self-esteem, you do this. I read this interesting report this week where people are, they're asked about their athletic skills. They don't normally say, you know, I am really terrible. No, the coach is stupid. I should be starting. Or I made a C, but that's that teacher's fault. I'm really an A student. Or I made a 22 on the ACT, but I, I could have made a 30. I just didn't try. And it's the same true spiritually. I talked to a man several years ago who comes into churches and he does surveys. And, and very interesting, we may get him to come sometime. I'm almost scared to tell you some of this stuff or you, you, you'll know what he's doing. But he goes into Sunday school classes and he asks them all kinds of questions. He says, it's so funny, I'll go into a church and I'll ask them. I'll say, do you tithe? Do you give 10% to your church? He said, I'll get a report back that 60% of the people in that church tithe. Then I'll go down to the financial secretary and I'll find out 15% of the people in that church tithe. Either we lie or we, we way overestimate. Spiritually, a lot of us are overestimating ourselves. I want to give you six things that a pastor named R.G. Lee 
Archie Lee pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis many years ago. That's where Adrian Rogers was for 30 years. Well, Archie Lee was there 30 years before him. Archie Lee, when he wrote this, he had a Ph.D. in theology. He'd been a pastor for 40 years. He knew what he was talking about. You can argue with me about these things. Call the office this week. I'll be glad to discuss them with you. But here's what he says. First, he starts out with this. He says, if you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. Now, that's cutting it close, isn't it? But that's true. Maybe it's a little ways. Maybe it's a big ways. But if you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've moved away from God. And then he lists these six categories, these objective ways to measure how you're doing with God today. And he begins with this, your prayer life. He said, people who move away from God don't pray like they used to. Just too busy, got too much going on, they're tired. They don't read their Bibles like they once did. They've read it before. They know it. They don't come to church like they once did. Why should they? I mean, everybody there is probably not as smart as them, and they just don't need it. They stop giving their money. Wouldn't make sense, wouldn't it? Why tithe? Why give 10% of your money to God when you and God aren't where you need to be? And besides, the church misuses the money and wastes it anyway. Fifth, they become more critical. Folks, criticism is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> Well, maybe it is a demonic spiritual gift. But listen, when you find yourself around people who are always critical, always finding the wrong, and that starts becoming you, you have moved away from God if you know God. That is not a godly thing. And number six, they stop telling people about Jesus. You don't talk about something you lose interest in, do you? So I want to bring it all together, and I want to challenge us with this this morning. Let's get to where we need to be. I don't know specifically where that is for you, but I know this. All of us need to make a decision today in our relationship with Christ. In verse 16, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know, you don't even have to explain that, do you? I mean, that is bluntly vivid there. In other words, God says Christians, Christians who have become self-sufficient and lazy and don't feel like they need God, they don't need the things of God anymore. God, listen to what God says. Now, God's fixing to say some really nice things in a second. So stay with me for the next 10 minutes. But God says, when you decide that you want to lukewarm your life, you make me sick. Wow. What do we do? Number one, realize your condition. I won't read verse 17 again, but he says, you're, you're, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. In verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can come truly rich. Buy clothes you can wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. God says this, listen, I want you to wake up and I want you to have the courage to admit where you are with God this morning. 
Soren Kierkegaard is a theologian. Listen to what he said. If you're, if you're writing things down, you, this is really, really good. He said, basically, we come to two choices. Come to two choices. We can either admit we are not near where we once were with God. We can admit that what the Bible holds up for a Christian, we're failing at that. Or we can spend a lot of energy trying to disguise and deceive ourselves and others that everything is okay with God. Did you get that? One or two. Here's the second thing, repent. Be honest about your conditions and repent. Repent means to have a change of mind and a change of heart. This whole passage is about repentance. And the third thing, open your heart to Christ. This is one of the great passages in the Scripture. The spit you out of the mouth is a bad one. Verse 19 and 20, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. It's very interesting in verse 19. God says, those I love, I discipline. The New Testament was written in Greek and they had four words for our one word love. And the the word most commonly used is the word agape, which is an unconditional love. The word used here is the word philea, which meant a brotherly, warm love. In other words, here's what God's saying. God's saying, look, I'm, I'm upset. God's saying, I am, I am frustrated with Christians and churches that are lazy and wealthy and sitting on their hands. I am frustrated with it. But if you, will, if you will, are willing to get it right, I want you to know I love you with a warm love, with an intimate love. And he says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Now, is this to a lost person? Yes. But first and foremost, it was to a Christian who had moved away from Christ. He's saying, I'm knocking, wanting to, to come back in and be the Lord of your life and to eat with you. Now, to you and me, okay, big deal. Let's go eat lunch. That'll be great. But to the, to the Jewish person, the word eat here meant supper. For them, breakfast was a kind of on-the-fly meal. Lunch was something you did at work. But supper, everybody came together. You had a lot of food. You would lay around. You, you, you ate kind of lounging at couches. And, and it was fun. It was entertaining. It was fellowship. What an awesome thing. God's saying, look, I'm not happy. I am not happy with what's going on in your life if you're away from me. But if you will come back and open the door, I want to come in and I want things to be great again. Holman Hunt painted a picture years ago. And it shows Christ standing at the door and knocking. It's hard to see. You can't, you can't really see in that you know, on that larger scale. But there's no handle on the outside of the door. And he painted it that way on purpose. He painted that way on purpose to show what this passage is saying is that Jesus ain't going to kick the door down. He's going to knock. And if the right relationship is going to happen, 
you and I are going to have to open the door. And when we do, God will come in and make everything right again. I want to ask you this morning, will you open the door? Let's pray. Christian, I'm going to talk to you more in a moment, but I would just challenge you right now as you examine yourself, where are you with God? And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure, would you right now, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died for me. And I'm opening the door to my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand. And I'm going to challenge you to respond to Christ. Maybe you just ask Christ into your heart. Or you're ready to do that. Would you come and talk to a minister about that this morning? Maybe you'd like to join our church today. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do it is by easing down the aisle. Minister will be down here. And we'll help you with that decision this morning. Christian, every Christian here, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, I hope you've been listening. Will you respond to God this morning? Whether you're this far away or whether you're miles away, God says all you have to do is make the choice to come back to me and I'll make it happen. Let's stand. You respond as God leads you.